from Las Vegas. You're listening to Verve Church for people who don't like church. Thanks for tuning in. Here in Las Vegas, we have the EDC every year. It's the Electric Daisy Carnival. It is a rave, an electronic dance music festival. 135,000 people at one time, most under the influence of your guesses as good as mine. And if that's not enough, to twist your perception, some rave goers wear kaleidoscope steampunk goggles. It distorts everything you see. Everything looks different. Uh, it gives you a, a bug eye, rainbow, shapes and colors, view of the world. The, these lenses make it impossible to see reality the way it really is. What if we have that going on in our lives and we don't even realize it? What if we're looking at the world through defective lenses? Well, then we wouldn't be able to see reality the way reality really is. Think of it this way. Imagine uh, you go to a party with a friend. Just before walking into the house, your friend grabs you, looks you in the eye, and says, hey, you know that everyone at this party thinks you're an idiot, right? For real. All right, let's go. You are shocked. You had no idea anyone thought of you that way, no less everyone at this party. Everything at the party would seem different to you, right? If, if the host forgets to take your coat, you know why. She thinks you're an idiot. If you see two people whispering and laughing over in the corner, you know what they're talking about. What an idiot you are. If your friend decides to leave early, you know what's going on. He's embarrassed to be seen with such an idiot, right? You, you leave the party, and let's say your friend then says, hey, <laughs> did you believe that whole idiot thing? You give him a confused look, and he smiles. Gotcha. No one thought you were an idiot. But because you thought it, you looked at everything through that lens. You remember what we've learned in this series, that, that a lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. Maybe we could add this. A lens with a distorted view will make lies seem like they're true. A lens with a distorted view will make lies seem like they're true. Uh, social psychologists have a, a name for our uh, distorted lenses. They call it cognitive bias. A, a cognitive bias is a, a standardized, consistent pattern of deviating from reality and how we see and process things. If you have a cognitive bias, you create a subjective, non-real reality. That construction of reality, not actual reality, will dictate how you respond to and behave in the world, which is kind of a scholarly way of thinking about cognitive bias, but you don't even need that explanation because you see people with a cognitive bias all the time. You might have a boss who gives the same exact feedback to two employees in the same exact way. One receives it as fair, constructive criticism. Man, that really helped me see a flaw in how I'm doing my job. I appreciate the feedback. It will improve my job performance. 
The other is totally offended. Who is she to come in here and say any of that? Who does she think she is? You want some feedback? I'll give you some feedback. Wait, what's, what's the difference? Cognitive bias. P perhaps uh, the second person had a demanding, insulting father and now sees every authority figure through that lens. Both had the same facts, different filter. Uh, studies show that cognitive bias can impact a person's view of God. Uh, for instance, uh, your relationship with your earthly father often colors how you perceive your heavenly father. If you had a good dad who was involved and full of compassion, it will be easier to view God as relational and as caring about all the details of your life. But if you had a father who was absent or abusive, you're more likely to see God as distant and disinterested. Same facts, different filter. You, uh, you can often typically recognize cognitive bias in others. But where do you find it in yourself? Part of the problem is that we tend not to see our own cognitive biases. If we knew it was a bias, we wouldn't have it. I want to encourage you, when we talk about this the whole series, I want to encourage you to think about what you think about. You cannot defeat an enemy you cannot define. So think about what you think about. You've got to find your filters to, to uncover your cognitive biases. I have, uh, I've told you uh, the last few weeks about a couple of mine. Here's another one. Um, I struggled to pray, which, why? I, I think it's the most important thing. I, I want to be close to God. I think prayer is how that happens. So why do I struggle to pray? And should I just accept it? Like, well, it is what it is. No, I need to think about what I think about. I have to try to uncover my cognitive biases. Hmm. So uh, one time I went on a trip with a bunch of guys from around the country. Uh, mostly I didn't know them. They didn't know me. But, but there was this one guy on the trip who I had spent a little time with. And when I found out that he was going on this trip with me, I wondered, have I spent enough time with him for him not to like me? I mean, that thought has always been a part of my thought life. But I had never thought about that thought. I had never questioned it. But this time I did. Wait, why do I assume that he wouldn't like me? Actually, why do I assume no one could like me? And I realized, I think it's because of my dad. He never acted like he liked me, uh, never said he loved me. He walked out on our family. If my own dad didn't like me, well, that must mean I'm not likable. Early in life, I decided I, I must be defective. I'm not likable. And it's like the rest of my life, I'm going through a party, assuming no one at the party could ever like me. And, and so... Um, yeah, if you were ever to meet me, maybe you've come to Verve in person. Maybe you kind of felt like I was avoiding you in the lobby or I got kind of got away quick. Maybe I did. Maybe I am. Maybe, maybe I don't want you to spend enough time with me to realize that you wouldn't like me. And this includes God. 
Like, I, I know God loves me. He loves everyone. But I cannot imagine that he likes me. Because no one could like me. So, why don't I want to pray? <laughs> Do you like talking to people who don't like you? <laughs> That's one of my cognitive biases. Uh, what are yours? And what if your cognitive bias is your biggest self-imposed obstacle to living the life you want to live. So let's define our biases so we can defeat our biases and win the war for our minds. Uh, social psychologists ha have a name for, for taking control of how we perceive things. They call it cognitive reframing. It's when uh, we, we learn to identify and correct our irrational thinking. We, we could say it's when we unbias our bias. That's what we need to do. Unbias our bias. Our, our frame is how we view things. It's the, the cognitive bias lens through which we look at and interpret what's happening. Reframing is when we decide that we're not going to hang on to old perceptions that aren't working for us. We're going to choose a different, more godly, more productive way of thinking. And you can do that. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. The goat of reframing was the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was one of the first Christians led an amazing life for God. He traveled on missionary journeys sharing the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus. He started churches all over. God used him to write a lot of the New Testament of the Bible. And we learn quite a bit about him in the Bible. Like um, he had a very strategic plan for advancing the gospel, the good news about Jesus. His plan was to get to Rome, which was like the capital of the world at the time. He thought if he could get to Rome and tell the leaders there about Jesus, it could become a launching pad to spread the gospel all over the world. Well, finally, Paul got to Rome, but it was not to share Jesus with government officials. Paul went to Rome as a prisoner. He had been arrested just for talking about Jesus. He was brought to Rome. He was locked up and chained to a rotating contingent of guards as Paul awaits a possible execution. Paul, Paul had prayed and prayed to get to Rome, but it was not happening the way he wanted. Paul's circumstances were out of his control. Circumstances are almost always out of our control, right? You've been where Paul was. You thought, um, and if, I, if I just get this degree, I will get that job. And you got the degree, but you didn't get the job. Or uh, you plan on being married by now. Yes, but no, you have not found Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Or you did find and marry the right person, but it has gone wrong. This is not the way it's supposed to go. Or um, for years you've been praying uh, for your kid to get on the right path but God has not answered that prayer. Or you've been trying to, to, to kick your addiction to, to, I don't know, chapstick, but nope, hasn't happened. 
Paul was in that same situation. Circumstances he did not want and could not control. And from that prison cell in Rome, Paul wrote to the church at Philippi about what was happening to him. I mean, you think about that. What might he have said? Uh, he could have written, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that, as w- that what has happened to me really sucks. I wanted to spread the good news through preaching to government officials, but that didn't happen. As a result of this hell I've been through, I have decided prayer doesn't work and I am never going back to church again. Nope, that's not what Paul wrote. It could have been, but no. Remember, you cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. So how did Paul frame his situation? Well, here's what he actually wrote to the Philippians um, in chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. I love this. Paul is saying, man, I had a plan, but God had a better plan, right? This is a whole different way to advance the gospel than what I was thinking. God has blessed me with prison guards who were chained to me. They have no choice but to listen to me tell them about Jesus. These soldiers have the ear of influential leaders. And get this, every eight hours they chain a new guard to me. And they they think I'm the prisoner. Ha! God is moving. I can't wait to see what he does next. You cannot control what happens to you. But you can control how you frame it. And we need to learn to reframe. And and here's how we're going to do it. We're going to choose to make our cognitive bias the goodness of God. We're going to choose, instead of just having a cognitive bias, and where did it come from? We're going to choose to make our cognitive bias the goodness of God. That's what allowed Paul to reframe what happened to him in such a positive, life-giving way. Just before those verses we looked at, he wrote, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do do you see the trust that he had in God's goodness and how it led him to joy? Do, Do you see the confidence he had in God's goodness. He says, I know God's going to continue his good work. Well, in the the next verses, he talks about people who were preaching Jesus, but not because they believed in and wanted others to know Jesus. They were actually doing it because they thought that they could create more problems for Paul if there were people outside of jail who were still talking about Jesus. Wow. What might Paul have said? Well, he might have said, I'm already in jail. I'm probably going to die. And these jerks are trying to make it worse for me. Why do bad things happen to me? That is, that is not what Paul wrote. It could have been, but no. He reframed his situation based on a trust in God's 
goodness. And here's what he actually wrote. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Do you see how his cognitive bias was the goodness of God? He trusted that God loved him, that God was with him, and that God is good. He trusted that God in his goodness was involved and would bring a good result. Here's the truth. You're always going to find what you're looking for. You're always going to find what you're looking for. Think about the difference between two birds, a vulture and a hummingbird. Uh, Vultures soar high in the sky looking and searching. What does a vulture find? Dead things, right? Roadkill. In fact, vultures can sniff out a dead critter for more than a mile away and have been known to cruise 30 to 50 miles in search of rotting food. Well, compare, compare contrast, actually, the, the, the vulture to the tiny hummingbird. Uh, with wings flapping 20 beats a second, what does this small bird find? Not dead, rancid meat, but sweet life giving nectar. By the way, hummingbirds eat half of their body weight every day. So if anyone ever says, and you eat like a bird, do not take that crap as a compliment. Birds find what they're looking for. And so do we. You will always find what you're looking for. If you look for what's bad, you will find something bad. If you look for what's negative, you'll find plenty to be negative about. If you look for things to be critical about, there's always going to be something to criticize. On the other hand, if you look for God's goodness, you'll see it. You'll see it. You'll, you'll start seeing God's fingerprints. You, you may at times feel like he's winking at you. As you pay attention to how God's working, you'll find yourself seeing good in people. And just like it did with Paul, it will lead you to joy and confidence. Now, I got to be honest. I got to be honest. Uh, It's not going to be easy at first. Why? Because nothing is easy at first. Why? We learned this, right? Neural pathways. Remember, we we learned how your brain literally reforms itself around each thought and, and how when you continue to think the same thought again and again, a neural pathway forms. Literally, it's like a mental rut. And so the easiest thing is to keep thinking the way we've been thinking. So it will feel awkward at first to, to start thinking in a different way, but you can do this. And the more you do it, the easier and more natural it's going to be. So, so we're going to choose to make our cognitive bias the goodness of God. We are going to look for the goodness of of God. You can do this uh, not, not only as you approach tomorrow, but also as you think back on your past. Like, um, I've told this story before if you've been around for, for a long time, but when I was in college, I worked at a movie theater. Uh, I got sick of it. 
I looked for another job. I prayed for another job. I couldn't get another job. I was a new Christian. I, I prayed, God, I thought you were supposed to be good. Why won't you answer this prayer for a new job? And then as I continued in the same job I didn't want to be in anymore, someone new started working there. Her name was Jennifer. It's uh, now 32 years later, we've been married for 28 years. And God, God was so good to me and I didn't see it. Instead of being miserable because I couldn't get another job, I could have trusted God that he loved me, was with me, was involved and, and would bring a good result. The Bible says that God's ways are higher than our ways. His plans are better than ours. And we can trust that he is working even when we aren't aware of it. We can trust uh, the way he's working even as if it isn't the way we want him to work. And when we do, uh, we will stop feeling like victims of random circumstances in a chaotic world. And we'll start seeing that we have a God who is at work and who is protecting us and working in us and around us. And we need to do this. We need to develop the discipline of reframing. We need to unbias our bias. And we need to make the goodness of God our cognitive bias. We need to see everything through the lens of God's love. And not only does reframing allow us to, to uh, you know, approach this moment different and approach the past different, uh, reframing also allows us to pre-frame, to pre-frame. What's pre-framing? It's choosing how I'll view something before it happens. Instead of, you know, getting there and then letting my old frame, my old cognitive bias lenses, right, take over, leading me to interpret what might actually be positive as something negative, I proactively choose the frame I will use to evaluate my experience. How do you uh, need to, to pre-frame your future? What situations do you know you'll be walking into? What would it be like if um, you decided to, to make the most positive, life-building, God-honoring way the way you chose to approach that moment. You pre-frame it. With God's help, you can decide the lens through which you'll step into that situation. Uh, so, so let's say you wake up and you know that you have an overwhelmingly busy day. Well, instead of complaining about how hard it will be, you can pre-frame it with a more positive, godly perspective. Tell yourself, and today I get to experience God's strength when I'm weak. He has given me everything I need to do what he has called me to do. And so rather than a, a busy, bad day, I'm going to have a, a positive production one. You unbias your bias. Or uh, let's say you're, you're nervous about a challenging conversation you need to have with a friend. So, so what you'll do is you'll pre-frame it with faith. Instead of imagining a blow up, thank God ahead of time for your friend, for giving you the words to say. Decide that you're going to do the right thing and that you will trust God with the results of that conversation. Or uh, let's say you have an intimidating doctor's appointment. Uh, your fears might be overwhelming as you imagine the worst possible outcome. 
and instead choose a different frame for your future. Believe that God has heard your prayers and that you will hear good news from the doctor. And if by chance you don't, and you remind yourself that God is always good, no matter what you face, he will be with you. Listen, you can't control what happens, but you can control how you frame it. We choose to make our cognitive bias the goodness of God. We look at our circumstances through the lens of his mercy and grace. We know that there is not a moment when we have been forsaken or forgotten. We can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we frame it. We can unbias our bias, and if we do that, then we can win the war for our minds. Let's do that, and let's start right now by praying together. Let's pray. God, we've all um, at some point in life learned to look at life in a certain way, and too many of us have ways that are not true, that are self-defeating, self-destructive, that are negative. God, would you help us to take off those glasses, to remove those lenses, to unbias our bias? And God, as we move forward in life, would you help us to, to reframe our life, to choose a cognitive bias of your goodness? to know and believe that you are love, that you are good, that you are working in our situation and you will bring about good no matter what we're going through. And so we face life. We walk in the future with joy and confidence. Thank you, God, um, for, for doing that for us. Thank you for being that kind of God for us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.